You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Hi, this is Justin Hibbert, pastor of New Hope Chapel. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. I pray that God uses this message to touch your heart. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. We're in our Kingdom Builders series, and today we're going to look at building through opposition. Building through opposition. We're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 4 and Nehemiah chapter 6. We'll begin in verse 1 here in Nehemiah 4. It says, When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the, Jew, the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Uh, What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of of stones. Hear Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry, and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah, in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived there, who lived near, then them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Turn, if you would, to ch- uh, chapter 6, verse 1. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message, Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply, I am carrying on a great project and and cannot go down. Why should the work stop? while I leave it and go down to you. Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter, in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king. And have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like that you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah. And the son of 
uh, Mehetabel, who was shut up in his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you by night and they are coming and by night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had hired, he had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. God, this morning, all of us are at different, different places and all of us face certain opposition. We pray, God, that you would help us to understand your servant Nehemiah and the work that he did and the glory that was restored to Jerusalem. We pray, Lord, that you would help us as we are reading about Nehemiah and his great accomplishments with the people of Israel, that we would be encouraged in the work that we have, knowing that you are greater than any threat or opposition that stands before us. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. So I was talking with Analia the other day, and uh, she said, uh, there was, we were in Spain when Carlene was um, eight months pregnant, and she said, and so we've always talked, like we had backup plans in case Carlene went into labor in Spain and what we were going to do. And so she, kind of out of the blue, she said, you know, I wish I was born in Spain. And I was like, oh, I'm kind of glad you weren't. I mean, that would have put a whole wrench in our plans. But um, I said, you know, that would have been kind of cool. But I said, you know what? You wouldn't become, you couldn't be president if you were born in Spain. And she said, well, uh, women can't be president. And I said, I said, actually, that's not true. Women can be president. Just no, one, no woman has been a president yet. You might be the first one. And then I thought, I don't want her to be the president. <laughs> I don't think I'd wish that on anybody. You watch these elections, and they are bitter. And people get pulled into the dirt, and people dig up dirt about these politicians who are running for, or for, running for election. And it's so negative and so bad, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. And I wouldn't want to be drugged through the dirt with her. <laughs> but when I think about those politicians and people whose names got drugged through the mud, I can't help but think of Abraham Lincoln, one of the greatest presidents of our time. But it wasn't like that when he was running for, for president, you know. He was actually running against three other people. And he was the first, I didn't realize this, he was the first Republican president. I didn't realize that. So Abraham Lincoln was running against all of these other uh, candidates, three others, and he happened to win. But he didn't win by the majority of the vote. He won with less than 40% of the vote. But because there was split among four people, he ended up winning. Now every time there's election and one party wins, it seems like the other party, people from the other party say things like, I'm moving to Canada, or our state's seceding from the union, Right? In Abraham Lincoln's case, that actually happened. The, the, when he was elected president, the, the nation split into two. We had the Union and the Confederate. You see, the thing that we remember about Abraham Lincoln was what? His 
platform on slavery. He wanted to abolish slavery as much as the Constitution would allow. But others were not too keen on that idea because it would cost them. It was a costly decision. And so lots of things were said about Abraham Lincoln. People called him Lincoln Poop was one of his nicknames. They would make up all sorts of things like this and, and, and they would just kind of drag his name through the mud. And you know what? The tactics that we see today, they look pretty familiar to the time of the 1800s, believe it or not. But Abraham Lincoln persevered. He persevered. He became president. He went through incredible opposition. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Lincoln. That's a good movie. And you kind of see all of the, the politics behind the scene to make, to end the, the movement of slavery and how, how hard it was for him. You know, we kind of think of Abraham Lincoln. We, I, know, I think of him and I think of giving the Gettysburg Address and, you know, you, you think of this like bald eagle soaring around and, and, the, and, the, and the music playing and all of this. But it really wasn't like that. He had to deal with so many naysayers, so many people opposing him. When you think of the naysayers, all of us have naysayers that we work with, right? All of us have the Simon Cows that seem to stand up against every idea that we have. And maybe even at work, maybe at home, wherever you are, there's always those naysayers. So why do naysayers do it? Why do they always have that, that negative attitude. I worked with someone and I said, I said if, you ever wanted, if you ever wanted to hear your idea get shot down, just go talk to that person because it didn't matter. It was always no. And she did it or and, they, and they do it because of power or because of control. And when you come up with your idea, it threatens them. Or they're afraid of new ideas and they just want the status quo. Or like in the case of Abraham Lincoln, they were, they were protecting their own self-interest. Now that I'm in in sales, we've learned a term. It's not a new term. It's been around for a while. And the term is called FUD. FUD. And by FUD, I don't mean uh, the delicious Latino processed meals that you can get at the grocery store. And I don't mean Elmer FUD, even though he was pretty negative. I mean FUD as in fear, uncertainty, and doubt. That's FUD. And some people are fudders. They love to just express fud, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Everything that they say, it's just this fear-based, you hear this uncertainty, I don't know about that, I don't think it's going to work, or we've never done it that way before. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And it kind of comes out in a variety of ways, and you've probably experienced this. It could come out through cynicism or criticism or misinformation, or exaggeration. How about those hypothetical scenarios that you're like, those are ridiculous. That'll never happen, but, you know, they're expressing fear. Dubious claims, where they begin to even lie, exaggerate a little bit. And then when it comes downright to it, there are oftentimes threats. If you do this, I will do this. FUD. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And in the story of Nehemiah, we see that mainly in this man named Sanballat and Tobiah, who were criticizing everything he was doing, and it started off a certain way, and then it even got violent with threats. When I think about these two characters, I can't help but think about the Muppet characters that sit on the balcony and just make comments the whole time, you know? They're kind of funny, probably obnoxious too. 
But take a look at the tactics that were thrown at Nehemiah. First, there, were, there was criticism. What are those feeble Jews doing? And then there was cynicism. There, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. And then there was entrapment. And the entrapment of, uh, of telling Nehemiah that he should go hide in the temple, which would have been a sin. And then there were the lies. It's reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. I'm sure none of you can relate to this, right? And then there were the threats. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against us. These are the things that Nehemiah faced. Every t- everywhere he turned, he seemed to face these things. And I, you know, I look at Nehemiah and I'm like, man, I don't know how he did it. I, I'm one who gets discouraged in the face of opposition. How did he do it? And there are a few things that I, I began to see in, this, in these two passages that I shared it, share with you today. The first is that when Nehemiah faced opposition, what did he do? He prayed. He prayed. And some of his prayers that we read were, God, remember what they've done and turn it back on them. And I think a lot of times we like, well, that's not a very kind thing to pray. We talk about loving our enemies and all of that stuff. And, and it even kind of speaks back to, the, to David's Psalms where he says, destroy my enemies, God. And I think for a lot of us that doesn't sit very well. But I, I want to kind of present another idea about that is that, you know, um, the alternative is that you take things into your own hands. And these guys were giving it to God, saying, God, this is your problem. These are your guys. I'm not going to take revenge, but I hope that you do. And you know, if you're not in a place of loving your enemy, certainly don't want to cause revenge on them, but give it to the Lord. And I think Nehemiah and David are good examples of that. Being honest with God about what they hoped would happen, even at the detriment of their enemy, but at least they're telling God to take care of it. God, you take care of the problem. How many, when we face opposition, how many of you turn to the Lord first in prayer? I have to admit, sometimes I I don't. It's like I get stirred up and I'm like, I'm going to get them and I'm going to get them back. And and I get angry and then I'm like, okay, maybe I need to pray. Maybe I need to pray. (laughs) Pray about my own attitude. So when Nehemiah faced opposition, he prayed. He prayed about his enemies. He prayed about strength. He prayed about God's presence with them. When Nehemiah faced opposition as well, he acted wisely. He acted wisely. I think of two instances here that stand out to me. First is, you know, when Nehemiah, at the beginning of this series, Julie was talking about this, Nehemiah worked in the service of the king, of King Artaxerxes. And And Nehemiah had prayed about the situation in Jerusalem. He had planned for everything. And then he waited for the opportunity to present his idea to the king. But was the, I mean, this was a long shot. King Artaxerxes paying Nehemiah, paving the way for Nehemiah to go back home and send back the Jews back to Jerusalem. That would be, that's quite a long shot. So what Nehemiah did was he waited for the perfect opportunity. And one day the cupbearer came with his wine to give it to the king. And Nehemiah sees this and he says, I'll take that wine to the king. And he puts on a sad face before the king. He says, here's your wine and, 
And the king says, why are you so sad in my presence? And then Nehemiah explained to him the situation. We might say that Nehemiah was kind of being a little political there, kind of playing the situation. But Nehemiah was acting very shrewdly, very wisely in order to get things done. He certainly was sad. He certainly had ideas. He needed Artaxerxes to come on board with him. But the other situation, too, that we just read was that in that moment, uh, he was presented with the, with the notion of going into the temple to hide because his life was being threatened. Nehemiah, come into the temple and hide. It's a good idea. And Nehemiah thinks about it for just a moment. And he says, wait a second. If I go into the temple to hide, I look like a coward. And secondly, I'll be in a temple and I'm not supposed to be there. And they're going to discredit me. So Nehemiah thinks through the situation. He doesn't act impulsively. He acts very wisely. He takes slow steps because there's nothing like opposition that starts getting us stirred up, right? And we're like, okay, I'm going to jump to this. I'm going to go for this. I'm going to go for this. And he takes a step back and says, wait a second. And he's able to unfoil the plot against him. When Nehemiah faced opposition as well, he protected his people. Turn with me, if you would, to chapter 4. We're going to look in verse 13. It says, Therefore I stationed some of the men behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. And after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of, the, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and, air, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were, who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the, the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. Nehemiah knew that there was a threat. He was always aware that at any moment, this threat could materialize. At any moment, Jerusalem could be attacked. And so he posted the guards. Half the men worked, half the men stood guards. He protected his men. He protected the city of Jerusalem. Do you realize yourself that you have an enemy and that every moment of the day is a possibility of attack? Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Peter talks about beware that there is a roaring lion looking to devour. 
How many of you go about every moment of your life like, I, I could be attacked at any moment. I could be attacked at any moment. Do you, do you think about it? I don't think about it a lot. Going to the grocery store, I, Satan could be around the corner ready to attack me. Not to be fearful, but to be alert, right? And Jesus says that I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Do I go around my daily life thinking that I have a, realizing that I have an enemy and yet that I also have the fullness of abundant life in me. How do I protect myself? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, that have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We're instructed to put on the armor of God, to stand watch, because we are always under the threat of attack. But you know what? There's something else. Not only are, should we protect ourselves, but we should protect each other. I think about, a, there, was a, there was a story that came out, uh, and I don't remember which church denomination it was, uh, but they had basically, the, the diocese or whatever, had decided, uh, they had made a policy that there are to be no weapons inside their church. And I thought to myself, like, is this really a thing? Like, people packing heat into a church? Like, does this really happen? And, um, and apparently it does. And there, I heard about some churches where there are two guys that sit in the back, and they have weapons, and they stand, you know, and so if anything happens in the church, they're there to protect the church, protect the money of the church, things like that. I was talking with... Um, I was talking with Kateri about her son's church in, um, in South Africa, and they actually have people that come in, and they, it, they're, they're under, there's a threat. They also have monkeys that come in and steal the communion, but that's another thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not suggesting that we pack heat in this church, trust me. <laughs> I'm not really a weapons person, but, um, but I think about that, you know, the weapon that we all have is the weapon of prayer. And all of us are under opposition, whether it's at work, whether it's with our families, financially, physically, mentally. There's always opposition that is happening. When's the last time you have prayed for someone in your church? When's the last time you have spent time, you know what, today I'm going to pray for my brother, my sister. I feel like the Lord has... They're, they're being attacked, and I want to pray with them. There may, you may not be able to give them money. You may not be able to help them physically. Maybe you can. But one thing we all can do is we can all pray for each other. We can all stand on guard for each other. Sometimes the church is filled with people who just like to attack, who stand there and point out the holes in the wall. Ah, that wall's not very big. You stink at building that. You're not very good at this. You're not doing that. Well, what good is that? Instead, why not stand with them? Why not say, let me help you do this. Let me pray for you when you are feeling attacked. Let me stand on guard with you. That's the one thing that we can all do, isn't it? The one thing. We can pray for each other. We can hold each other up. When Nehemiah faced opposition, not only did he pray, not only did he post guards, not only did he act wisely, he also acted truthfully. 
He acted truthfully. So there were those rumors that went around and things like that. And he said, look, you're making that stuff up in your head. Abraham Lincoln once said, be sure you put your feet in the right place. Then stand firm. I think his idea was that, you know what? Sometimes we stand and we stand up and sometimes we're in the wrong. So I think about uh, a, a church network in the Northwest that has been in the news lately. And, um, and it's been a kind of a really bad fiasco. And it's been, it's just, I'm sure it's really grieved the heart of God of everything that has happened in it. And I think about this situation and I, and I can picture the pastors and the elders of this church saying, look at these people standing in opposition to us. And I can see the other side where the people are probably saying like, no, 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 we're not standing in opposition to you. We are, we're, we're trying to solve the problem. So I, I recognize that for everyone, every problem, there are always two sides to that problem. Well, which side is right? Which side is on the right? Well, I tend to think that the one that's on the right is the one that's acting truthfully, that's acting godly, that isn't jumping to assumptions, that isn't spreading rumors, but rather that they are acting in truth. So Abraham Lincoln was on a really tough spot. He was taking on the issue of slavery. And I wonder sometimes if Abraham Lincoln said, what's right? Am I right? Am I the one that's being the opposition to the others? But fortunately, we can look past history and we can see that Abraham Lincoln was indeed right, looking for a way to bring freedom to people who were oppressed. He was acting truthfully, honestly, and openly. The next thing, the last thing that I see when I look at Nehemiah is that when he faced opposition, he persevered. He faced opposition, he persevered. If you have your Bibles again, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. It was suggested that in, in the book of Nehemiah, we don't see the glory of the Lord. And I, maybe that's true. Maybe not like we see it in the Old Testament. But I don't think Nehemiah is a book about the orchestra playing, you know, and the bald eagles flying. I think it's about facing tough times. And what do we do when we face tough times? I think it's about the realness of those situations. In fact, this, this passage here in verse 16 reminds me a lot of the, the spies that went to Rahab's house, remember? They went to Rahab's house and they said, and, and they were there to get information on the city of Jericho. And Rahab says to them, we have heard what God had done in the land of Egypt, 40 years ago, by the way, and our hearts have melted like wax. The glory of the Lord preceded them. The glory of the Lord here worked through them. And they realized that God was behind the work. God was behind the work, and Nehemiah persevered. The story of Abraham Lincoln to us seems very flowery. When we, when we watch movies with the Gettysburg Address and we hear the four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation. You know, generally, you hear the orchestra playing, and you see the bald eagles flying. 
the cutaway scenes and all of that. But I don't think it looked that pretty for Abraham Lincoln. He stood on a battlefield in Gettysburg, lots of dead, thousands dead, tens of thousands dead, blood flowing through the rivers. Abraham Lincoln had a real mess. Even at the moment, even at the moment that he seceded in his, um, his work to end slavery as they knew it, it was still a divided nation. It was still trouble. There was still politics involved. It was messy. And Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. There's nothing pretty about that. But today, we remember Abraham Lincoln for what he did. Today, we can look at churches and see that there is no divide of race. We can drive down the road and we don't see slaves working in fields. We use the same bathroom, the same water fountains as people that are different colors than us. Because one man had a vision that was very unpopular and he persevered to the end. Jesus reminds us that things aren't always easy. He says, In John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So wherever you are, in whatever work you are doing, whether it's building your family, whether it's building a business, whether it's a ministry, no matter what it is, remember, God is bigger than anything that you could ever deal with. He's bigger than your enemies. He's bigger than your problems. Whether they're finance problems, whether they're emotional problems, whether they're physical problems, relational problems, God is bigger than it all. And look at the situation of Nehemiah. It was a long shot. It wasn't supposed to, to happen. But because of God's work in Nehemiah and the others, they persevered and built the wall in Jerusalem in just 52 days. It's a testament that God can do anything and he is willing to do it through us. Let's pray. Father God, you are amazing and we are so fortunate to be involved in the work that you have. Thank you for including us as untrained and unskilled as we are Today we renew our confidence in the Holy Spirit at work within us. So Holy Spirit, we invite you into our hearts, into our minds. And the areas where we feel the opposition, where we, where we hear the enemy's voice telling us to give up, where we hear the voices of others discouraging us, where we see the efforts to discredit us, God, we give those to you. You know what they are. And today, Lord, we stand firm with you. Help us to persevere in our work. Remind us of how good and powerful you are when we feel at our weakest. Thank you, God, for each person here and for the work that they're doing in the kingdom. Some of them have some real uphill battles, and you know them. But Lord, help us to stand with each other and stand firm with each other and to love each other. When we have the moment to criticize and to gossip, 
Help us instead to be ones that try to solve problems and to stand firm in faith and in prayer, lifting each other up, helping each other on the difficult roads ahead. God, yours is the honor and the glory and the power, and it's all for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.